0: Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis.
1: And I'm Jason Maletsky.
0: Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you.
1: We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute to our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey.
0: Yeah, and across the internet, our handle is trustthejourney.today. So if you would like a cost-free way of supporting the podcast, supporting us, please subscribe on YouTube. You can follow us on Spotify or Instagram, or you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All this stuff really helps us get out there that much more. You can also share the show with someone directly, an episode that moves you or you think would move someone else, or you can leave a comment. All of this stuff, like I said, really does help us get out there more in that makes a big, big difference.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for everybody who supports us. You're you're vital to the production of the show. We really appreciate you. That comes right from the bottom of our hearts. We'd also like to thank Kimberly Joy Voice, our editor for the podcast. She is critical to this whole program. So thank you. And if you would like some support with your podcast, you can find her at KimberlyJoyVoice.com. One of the other ways you can support the show is through a monetary donation. If you would like to support us by pulling out your wallet gosh we would sure appreciate that and if you did so it would uh qualify you to become a member of the Trust the journey family and that is a wonderful group of humans and gosh these are just such great people and everybody's really supportive and it's curating a space where it's a safe emotional space for everybody to engage in and this is really creating the world that we all want to live in so if you go to trustthejourney.today, which is our website, you'll find a button for donate on Patreon and any amount on Patreon will get you into the Trust the Journey family. And we sure would have loved to have you there.
0: Yeah. And Jay mentioned that you can donate in, in the way that you are called. One of the things that we're doing again, we're growing the back end of the show where we have merch coming soon. If you are not into the Patreon thing where you want, you know, subscribe to something that's recurring, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. So you can you can just send us a donation there at trustthejourney.today at gmail.com. Those are also welcomed. And again, any amount really does make a difference. And we will happily welcome you into the Trust the Journey family for that type of support.
1: And to close out this section of the program, we are looking for trusted partners to align our brand with. We've got a list of people that we really want to work with because gosh, there's so many amazing companies and amazing people out there and we want to work together. And if you are one of these people and you know that you're thinking, yeah, I want to work with these guys, there's these people. So reach out to us, feel free. We're looking forward to that. Also, if you want to get a hold of Melanie uh, for keynote speaking or myself for event production, MelanieCurtis.com, JasonMolesky.com, you can get a hold of us, reach out. We're here for you.
0: Yeah. And on that note, let's dive into this. Today, we're doing something we've never done before, which is pretty exciting. I'm pretty stoked about this. Today, we are doing Q&A. And we're answering questions that have come directly from our audience and directly from the Trust the Journey family. So yeah, that's, that's it. And if you hear this episode and like, oh man, I want Mel and Jay to weigh in on something I, I was thinking about, we're going to see how this goes. And if we, it works well, we'll do more in the future. So drop us a line if you have any questions you'd like to ask as well.
1: Awesome. All right, I think I'm going to pick the first one off the list here that just jumps out at me. This one is from Julian Flamas. And this is a two-part question to the both of us. And he says, what would you do differently in your first three years of skydiving, if anything? Sample areas are social mindset, social mindset, ratings, discipline, learning, getting coaches, also versus your old relatives and friends, then cash. I guess I'm not the <laughs> <part of> <laughs> okay, so what would we do differently in the first part of our three years of skydiving, if anything?
0: Yeah, great question. I think it's a great question. Because if you look at people who have achieved at a high level in any lane of life or profession, or sport or activity or skill, it behooves you to ask that kind of question, like, well, what would you do now that you know a lot more about this area of focus? What would you do? Personally, I have to, of course, preface this with I would change nothing because I don't know how it would impact my life. And I love my life. I'm grateful I wouldn't change a thing. All the lessons I've learned all that stuff. So that being said, to lean into the spirit of this question, I will give an answer my early skydiving days, I was at my dad's drop zone. And so it was in my family. I didn't live with my dad. So I only visited my parents were divorced. And so I didn't really skydive much in my first three, four years, I only made like eight jumps. So I would do more jumps, I would find a way to skydive more, more quickly as in I would get myself sort of out of the limiting thought that I could only skydive at my family's drop zone. And instead, I would explore other areas, other ways to learn different local drop zones community and, and all of those things. Because I know, in my experience, going to other places is actually really wonderful. You meet people, you learn more. And so it's, it's never really a bad thing to sort of venture away from your quote unquote home drop zone. Cool,
1: that's a, that's an interesting perspective. I like this question a lot. I also would preface: I change nothing in my life. This life is perfect, however it has gone, and however it will go. And I truly believe that. I believe that the course is plotted already, and it is all for us in a positive, loving way. That said, what I would do differently, I I think about the fact that I was very fortunate to come into skydiving at a prime age, physically, I was 21 years old, and of an excellent physical condition. So I was quite able to get away with a lot. Meaning I could take a lot of hits that I wouldn't be able to take if I wasn't already in great shape. So that was a result of growing up in gymnastics and working really hard in a blue collar job that really just meant you need to be strong. So, what would I would change? I wouldn't let myself slide so much. There was a period there where, you know, there was a lot of alcohol a lot in the early years. So, how much value was that? Is a question that I would have to ask myself, like, you know, what's the real value of like a excessive alcohol intake, and then coming home a wreck from the weekend, even though I had a great time skydiving, counteracting it with, a you know, abusive levels of alcohol, and then drinking and driving on the way home.
0: Yep, big thumbs down. Lame, Agree. lame Agree. as
1: shit. You know? So pfft, lame, yep. you know, lucky that I never had any accidents or got away with it. Uh, but not all my friends, some of my friends definitely crash or wrecked their cars on the way home from the drop zone after drinking. So that's something that I would, I, I bring up in the social environment around the DZ that it's not cool to do that. And that drinking in excess is something we can put, leave behind us. It's not yep. a cool part of it. So, uh, and I actually did that for myself after a few years in the sport, I had a really wonderful gift occur in my life where, I had two friends switch polarities where one friend increasingly drank more and the other friend increasingly drank less. And I watched their characters change. And that drove me to make the decision to stop drinking. Yeah. And I stayed sober for a long time yeah. as a result of that. So
0: I love that. Gosh, every bit of our answers could dovetail into a giant a, a expanded conversation so I'm deliberately not going to say more about what you just said, so that yeah. we can keep going with more questions. But I couldn't echo what you said more. Certainly in my young life, that stuff is reflected. I too made a very conscious decision. I am not going to drink and drive. I did it probably four times, five times. And it is terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I, don't, I know I've mentioned on the show that I've been impacted very severely by a drunk driver and being hit by a drunk driver. So I would just highly, highly encourage you guys to really reflect on how alcohol impacts your skydiving and your life outside of skydiving based on it's the cultural tenant of it in our sport. So it's just something to keep in mind. And if you are looking to stop drinking, the skydiver's Supporting sobriety group is a really great community as well that supports uh, people leaning into sobriety and in, in skydiving specifically.
1: I have one other thing that I want to bring up about what I I did do and what I would do, or and this is kind of like how might I frame a journey in skydiving? Because there's a very there's there's often a couple of very typical paths. And at least in the time and the era when I grew up, it was very quickly that you were progressed from a fun jumper or recreational jumper to an instructor. The drop zones were looking to breed instructors; they need people to be instructors and to go to work at the drop zone, and I was very diligently opposed. I very much said, "No, thank you. I would much rather do my work somewhere else and come here to recreate." And do something that I passionately enjoy. And so my first pursuits of art within skydiving work was camera flying. And I love camera flying. I love being an aerial camera flyer. It is just a passion that does not cease to this day. And it goes along with my passion for photography and flying and this artistic flow state combination and just puts everything together. And I pursued camera flying with vigor, without going to work for the drop zone. And for me, that was very empowering, because it meant that I had something to do where I'm like, I'm going to come out and film your four way, I'm going to come out and film you doing whatever I'm going to go even going to go film a tandem for myself, just for the own experience. And I really encourage people to like, get figure out what you want to do in this with yourself before going down this path of like a predetermined path to like, oh, become an an instructor, become a tandem instructor. And it kind of, it often fizzles for a lot of people when you too quickly go to this path of uh, becoming a worker bee rather than just seeking out the creative nature of what's available.
0: Love that. Beautiful. All right, let's go to this next question. I'm going to read this one. This one's from an anonymous is uh, someone who shared anonymously. It reads, have you ever been afraid someone was going to react badly to your telling them you loved them? If so, how did you get up the courage to tell them if you did tell them? If they did react the way you'd feared, how did you recover emotionally? Uh, and then there's some some commentary on if this is too specific or teenage angsty. <laughs> I, I suppose the larger question is how do you prepare yourself to show your emotional vulnerability to someone who doesn't like to show much of their own or how do you recover if your bid to connect more deeply is rejected? It's a fabulous question.
1: It's a great question. Beautiful yeah.
0: question. Do you want to start?
1: I can certainly. I have yeah. I mean, I'm sure I we can... both
0: have thoughts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mys- I'll, I'll, myself. I have made a practice so I can relate back, right? And I can go back to my own times where I put a lot of value on the share of saying that I loved you. Or I'm like, this, like, okay, girl, for me at this time, it was a girl in my life. And I'm like, if I tell her I love her, it's something really big and important, you know? And it means like there's more to this than it's a casual interaction. Well, I've reframed my entire life so that. I love everybody, and it's an open statement that love is just like a, a circular thing around, and so that I no longer have to feel like I have this weighted question, or weighted statement, because if it comes with a weight, if then does somebody really want to carry it? You know, I don't want to hand somebody has something heavy. Yep. I'd rather ha- like have a big embrace for somebody who wants to come receive it.
0: Yeah, I would add to that, that in the validation of it is so understandable it to feel the way that it sounds like you're feeling relative to putting yourself out there in this kind of way. And and I think one thing to consider what Jay's pointing to is when we're attached to the outcome when we are attached to, and we're afraid of what we might get in response. That is the heaviness that Jay's pointing to. And that's normal. That's totally normal, right? We're human beings, we're built to attach, we're built to connect. Um, I personally, it's interesting, one of the things that I wrote about in my book was how like letting myself opening myself up to love and what I mean by this is romantic love and I think that's what you're pointing to in this question opening myself up to romantic love again for the first time after my divorce was one of the bravest things I felt I had ever done up until that point I was only at a certain point in my healing where I was still very connected to this notion of romantic love and having it on a big pedestal and so I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have romantic love or all forms of love on a pedestal. There's nothing wrong with that um, because it's such a beautiful, wonderful experience to be in love in the way that you're describing it. So for me, I would be patient with yourself. You know what I mean? Like, and if you blurt it out and you fuck it up and and it goes all blows up in your face, and that's okay too. If you tell them and they're like, oh my God, I'm so glad you told me, that's okay too. Like just try to accept that this is fucking brave and beautiful and wonderful because it is you actually being in true vulnerability when you actually earnestly put yourself out there and don't always have the connection to the spiritual level of love that Jay is talking about. Cause it's, it's, hard to get there all the time when we're in very intimate micro relationship dynamics as well. What would you say to that, Jay?
1: Well, the, the whole attachment to outcome has to do with this concept that love must be reciprocated. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's this interesting thing within ourselves as we, as we practice love, that love isn't outgoing. It's, a, it's an outpouring, right? It's an outpouring and it comes back to us where and when it comes back to us. But if we if if there's an attachment to the idea that our outpouring should have a returning love, now we've set up an equation that is like you either have a, a win lose scenario, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that, this is a this is a risky kind of emotional space, because just because we're in emotion in an emotional state in a place where we feel enriched by somebody's presence might not necessarily mean that they're in the same place. So the the vulnerability of putting ourselves out there is beautiful. But connecting an expectation to also receive that back isn't necessarily something that I would think is a healthy expectation. Yep,
0: I agree. Yeah, I agree. And it's hard to get there. So that's again, I want to validate the whole sort of complexity yeah. of this. Now, I am no longer with that the the partner that I was with uh, the first person that I put myself out there with. So that love, you know, that romantic love went a different direction. And look at me, I'm still I'm still okay. You know what I mean? I'm still doing a pretty good job over here. (laughs) I only say that to help you feel safer in this idea that of of detaching from the outcome of how it might go. Um. But I do think it's, it's okay and thoughtful to consider your partner and where they might be in their own path and pacing of expressing emotions. You know what I mean? Not everybody is, does that easily. You know what I mean? Just like Jay described how he's very much, I love everyone. I love easily. Very easily. I tell a lot of people that I love them and I mean it. Right. Yeah. And so, because yeah, sure. society has laden romantic love with this heaviness, that is the main reason why I would say to tread a bit lightly is because everybody that we love and that we end up potentially partnered with are engaging that societal pressure and that, that ideology that we've all sort of grown up with and been programmed with through all kinds of, of media and stuff like that. So that's why it's... So I'm not necessarily saying take it slow so that you don't fully self-express. I'm saying just maybe broaden your your view around all the competing forces around this type of share so that you can do exactly what Jay said and share it when it is truly truly light and truly truly without attachment
1: there's the second part of this question has um, some real meat on it Uh, the larger question how do you prepare yourself to show emotional vulnerability to someone who doesn't like to show much on their own so that you know not necessarily meeting in the same place and, and not necessarily having that expectation to meet in the same place you know like I can think about my relationships with family members who are very different, very different people, you know, and I certainly don't expect them to lean in to the kind of hug that I would normally give to somebody who is a good friend of mine. I much more expect them to go pat pat on my back because (laughs) that's their safe space, right? Like that's what they're okay with. So this whole like emotional safety thing is two sided, right? We're going to be emotionally vulnerable. But that also means somebody else has to engage their emotional vulnerability. And that may or may not be something that somebody feels comfortable doing. So the what am I coming back to here is, is our self worth connected to somebody else's reaction? Right? And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be our own self worth, our own measure of self value, how I how I measure who I am as a person should not be correlated to how somebody responds to my vulnerable share.
0: Absolutely agree. Yeah. And I also frame it as if someone doesn't or cannot meet me at that level of expression, I allowing that to be okay is also love. And expressing love doesn't always need to be in words. If you're partner or people that you're showing love to receive it differently. I mentioned on a podcast a while back about a ceremony that I did, and I got connected to how deeply I adore my brother, right? I think if you've listened to the show, you probably remember that, how I just cried for like hour, an hour, two hours, just just getting it how much I fucking adore my brother. Now, I show my brother that I love him. And uh, years ago, my I've talked about how Jonathan passed a long time ago, one of my very best friends. Years after that, one of his my brother's best friends died very suddenly and young as well. And he didn't understand that, like grief that I went through until his friend passed. And he then communicate, I'm so sorry, I didn't understand it not to meet you. Of course, that was no problem. But now, because that, of ex, that experience, my brother and I tell each other, we, we say I love you at the end of every phone call now. And it, he wasn't necessarily ever going to be that guy, even though we love each other, until that happened for him. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't, again, I'm not trying to get you to not express I love you in words, because I think it's a beautiful expression when it's time and when you're ready, and when you want to. I'm more just giving examples of ways where people we might need to be patient with people, especially given the way you describe this person in your in your life.
1: Awesome answer, Melanie. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I think I want to swing down the list here and ask a very short question. And the reason why I want to ask this one is because I kind of don't know the answer.
0: Yeah, let's do it. I know like, I, I didn't don't even know look, what I, want I didn't to look say. at the, Yeah, I didn't look at the list at all, family, by the way, you listening. I deliberately was like wanted to come at these really really like unprepared.
1: So this question comes from a very good friend uh, who I love very much who we love, Harry Parker. Yeah. And the question is, how do we get out of our own way? Mm. Good one.
0: Good yeah. one. How do we get out of our own way? That could go a lot of different directions. I think first, recognizing we are, I don't know if you guys are followers of the instagram in, me spiritual meme type accounts, but you have that one where that there's a close up of this little kid and he has like <laughs> a has a boot on his head. <laughs> and then like the the wider, (laughs) the wider view of the same picture as you can see, like, he's holding this boot on his head. And it's like, at first, you're just like, it looks like someone's got their freaking foot on this kid's head. And then you realize, oh, it's actually just this kid holding this funny little rubber boot on his head. It's just hilarious. Likening that to sort of the spiritual journey and the awakening to our human experience and the humility of being a human. And once we're able to really, 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 and Harry, I'm saying this to you directly, I love you so much. See, there you go, love, expression of love for reals. It's when we really get comfortable and accepting of our humanity, then we can start to really look at the stuff that we have felt shame around, have limiting thoughts versus being stuck in the cycle of I shouldn't be I should be able to be doing this I shouldn't feel this way all these expectations that like really weigh us down and we cannot move through that stuff when we are rejecting it like we have to be really accepting of the darkness and the pain and the limiting thoughts and I say that because that is what I call my humanity my humanity in that dark part of myself is just as worthy as the part of me that shows up as this radiant ball of beautiful light, right? Like I have to love that part of myself and acknowledge its reality if I ever want to shift away from it. So like that's conceptually one way I would say how I quote, have gotten out of my own way is I've really leaned into that acceptance of myself.
1: I'm going to get all um, world champion canopy piloting coach on you for a second here, but I'm going to reframe it in an emotional context because I understand the question now, having had a little bit of time to kind of chew on it. For me, this is a relationship to recognizing a weakness. Okay. What is in my way is the area where I'm failing the part of me that is not showing up. So as a canopy piloting competitor, I had a weak event that was really bad. It was the one I always had the lowest scores in. And the reason why I had the lowest scores is because I didn't like it. I was emotionally rejecting it. I did oppose the idea of doing that because it wasn't something I was passionate about. I didn't care about it. Or it's something I was blocking, okay? And I finally recognized that I was doing exceptionally well in some areas and had a big up drop off and a failure point in another area. I said, aha, Okay, I'm going to make this weak spot my strength and I'm going to train this area to bring it up as a skill so that I can now have that as what becomes now I won that event more times than any other event. And it became something I became incredibly passionate about about growing and developing inside of myself. Now, it doesn't matter that this is an event in a skydiving discipline or this is an emotional skill set. It makes no difference at all. These are the exact same fucking thing, right? We find our weakness. What am I running from? What am I hiding from? What am I ignoring? When do I go and crush it? And then where don't I? Where do I trip and fall? So recognizing the weak spot, identifying the weakness, find the weakness by going, oh, here's where my dropout is. And then just go, I'm now going to love this to death. And dig it yeah. in. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. I love that you brought this up, Jay, because I think a big part of this too, Harry, is the believing that everything that Jay's talking about is accessible for all of us. I can learn. Sure how to have a different and elevated emotional skill set right i can learn pretty much how to do anything like we are all wildly capable and wildly more capable than we ever currently think and i can only say that because i could never have thought up my life like and there, and i would never ever have thought that and so like i know that i don't know shit basically So if you're wherever you have certainty, I would start I would question that in a in a a way when it points to the negative, or it points to your inability to do something, those are the places where I would begin to really question.
1: The other area that really uh, feels like a strength point here is to lean in because if we have a weakness, it's something we're not good at. If it's a blockage, we may need to employ tools. Training, coaches, uh, you know, other support systems to help to bring that area from an area that's a blind spot or, or a weakness yep. and that's in our way. How do we, you know, now make it a clear, easy path for ourselves is by bringing in the right tools to employ to, to make that happen.
0: Agreed completely. That was the last thing I was going to share is that if we, if all the things that we're saying right now are like, excuse me, are like, well, cool, but how what like, I don't like you're still sort of resistance to our, our conceptual ideas. That's when you get help. That's when you get help. And you commit to a process. eh? Yeah, commit to a process and an experience with a teammate. Like this is genuinely why I have a job as a life coach. And again, I've been I was reflecting on this the other day, I've been doing, I've been life coaching almost 17 years. What? That is a long freaking time. And the reason I I call that out is that I've seen so many people in this place. And that's why I can speak with such confidence and authority that it is available to us when we have humility to step into the spaces where we are getting help. And when we embrace ideas that we are inherently feeling like we should reject.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Powerful.
0: Thank you for asking these questions, team. You guys are awesome. All right, let's go to the next one. What should we do next?
1: I think I've got one if you want. Yeah, go for it.
0: Go for it. I want
1: want to ask Katie's question. Katie Wrigley has Mm -hmm. asked us. I think one thing I would really love to get an inside scoop around is maintaining a wellness routine on the road. Mm. I do so great at home in a routine, but when I travel, diet and that routine often go haywire for me. Would love tricks to rein that in and you two both travel a good deal. So I figured you could help.
0: (laughs) Great. I just got back from a a trip literally last night what's funny <laughs> yeah <Jay> too. <laughs> um i was on in more vacation mode uh there but i will say even then i opted for a couple of salads when i normally maybe would have gotten fries or a burger or something like that um but i also had to sprint for a connection last night and i just burned my throat up i've been coughing since then but that tells me I need to get back in the gym more. Yeah, you know, Katie, honestly, for me, it, this is totally achievable for me if I commit. When I really, really commit, then I have a shred of a chance on the road of doing better in terms of wellness. One thing that I, I, I want to point to the PIA symposium because that was something that recently happened and yeah, it's, it's the, the same eating one I, was I did thinking pretty about well. Too, yeah. yeah, like I sort of created a routine-ish there and I didn't mess around with my sleep because I was speaking multiple times, like four different times I was speaking. And I knew that I cannot perform optimally for these things that I care about that are my priority if I don't get enough sleep. And so that prioritization of the, of really the number one thing and the number one thing I cared about when I was there couldn't be like, I couldn't best do it if I allowed full access to where I could connect. Cause you know, I love connecting with people as well, but I had to be like, I can't do, I can't be out there connecting with people at all times, at all moments, I will crash and burn. So I've been like, I made a point to deliberately go back to my room and be alone, sleep, those types of things. Um, But yeah, I I acknowledge that this is tough. This is usually hard because we're just not in our space. Um, I have more to say, but Jay, I'm kind of rambling. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this.
1: Well, first of all, I'm going to start off with a big pat on my own back because I have been doing exceptionally well at this. And this is an area where I have failed miserably. So it has been a, It's an excellent question uh, because I understand it intimately and it has impacted me in massive emotionally and physically and relationally uh, all the ways. So PIA, I packed a cooler in the hotel room and a fridge and I ate most of my meals in the hotel room and I prepared things and I brought like I did a lot of food prep so the stuff was all ready to go so that I didn't have to rely on going out grabbing just grabbing like a carb loaded item from the coffee place I'm like no 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 I completely stayed structured and was very, very strict with myself to say, the only times that I'm eating out are going to be on the dinners that I'm committed to the banquets, the social engagements with customers. And at those times, I ate within my diet, which I ensured that I did not order off menu from what I would normally eat within my regular structure. Along with Melanie, I also put very firm blockades around rest. And I made sure that I got very, you know, the minimum time that I need is eight hours. Even if I don't sleep the whole time, I need eight hours to be horizontal. Mm -hmm. So I was very good about that. And good job. I also made it into the gym a lot and worked and went for walks outside a lot. Any opportunity, this is a big one. I learned this from some of my amazing, inspirational, athletic friends that I just love following how amazing they are. One of my friends, he's a Norwegian fella, Tom Eric Hyndman. His Strava, if you want to just be like blown out of the water by somebody who just never stops moving, check out his Strava. Holy smokes. (laughs) What I learned from him being on trips... Of traveling, doing uh, base races, and be traveling around the world, and going from one place to another, never take the escalator, never take the elevator, always take the stairs. You know, whenever there's an opportunity for physical movement, take it. And I'll do the same thing now. Where like, if I have my, even if I have my bags in the air, my hand, my roller bags, my backpack, I'm loaded. I hit the stairs, I skip the escalator, and it makes there's a thing in my modality of of like how I'm approaching things. That I love it. And I go. I look at all the people on the escalator and like, not me.
0: <laughs>
1: I ain't riding that thing. I'm walking up those stairs. I'm walking down those stairs. Yeah, and I love it. It inspires the shit out of myself, and that keeps me on structure.
0: Yeah, I do that too. I think the more we have strong habits, one of the things that I had going before PIA, and this is actually I mentioned at the beginning of the show about how we have new merch and stuff like that. I always motivated. I admit it. When we have a photo shoot, I am stoked. It motivates me to like engage all of my tools. I obviously I use my aura ring to track my sleep. But that happens all the time. I'm always sort of tracking my sleep through my aura ring. When I'm on a specific project, like getting in hot shape for some hot photo shoot or some ridiculous photo shoot with rainbow. <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> rainbow tutus and jumping with Jay around the b- beautiful snowy parking lot. That tends to carry into the next thing that I'm doing. So I was, I was making still pretty good choices after finishing the photo shoot. So it's almost like if you do that kind of thing where you have a goal that motivates to you to use your tools, like for me, tracking on Lose It, it works all the time, works every single time. If I track my food, I don't overeat because that's my main problem is I love food, it's delicious, and I will overeat, right? Or I will make poor choices and overeat by simply making a high caloric choice, which when I'm not aware and tracking that high calorie density. So that's something too uh, that helps me a lot. Um, Even if I'm not perfectly tracking on the road, If I'm engaging it even a little bit, it helps me to make more mindful choices. So I would say allow some looseness so that you're not feeling super restricted unless you are supported by being super restricted. So you'd have to decide for yourself what's going to support you the most. But I would first invite you to check out where do you really, quote, fail? Are you like, yes? Because this is one thing, I just want to note this really fast before we move on to the next question is that even in my home, environment, I noticed a collapsed connection, like a a relationship with every time I would go to the city, I would basically let myself get some kind of crappy muffin or some bullshit crappy thing before taking the train home. And so I had to break that habit, because I go to the city a lot. And so I would look for things like that. Like, what are those, those connections, those relationships with bad choices that are connected to your travel as well and try to undo those?
1: I want to throw one more thing in here real yep. quick. This has made a huge change for me is I have a pretty intense supplementation routine. I have a lot of different things that I take in powders and pills and stuff. And what I've found to be really helpful is to pre-package the daily allocations into individual packages labeled like so that I have, I can just grab one thing and I don't have like at home, I have all the bottles. And I just take a little bit from each one knowing But I can't do that on the road. I can't take all the bottles with me. So no coincidence. There's my daily routine. It's right here with me. I'm going to take it as soon as I'm done with this cast podcast, because it's going to make my face flush. And I don't want that to happen while I'm on the show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I admit my vanity. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. I'm just also cool. My with face I is like, cherry red enough. <laughs> I like being motivated. You know, sometimes you have to find what works and it's okay that it's, for me, it's connected to a bit of vanity and wanting to be able to look at our pictures that will be forever in the ether and feel really stoked about it. You know what I mean? It's not just the vain. Uh, I want to fit into a skinny, picture in society it's not that it's a body positivity tone but it's like i know what i did to look like that for that shoot and that makes me feel really good about myself so i'm cool with those types of motivations as well but anyway we could go on and on about that
1: i've been treating my body as an amusement park most of my life and i finally <laughs> started treating it like a temple and i'm i look at the beautiful temples in the world and i want to celebrate my body like that and i want to yeah. raise its energy frequency and so yeah. yes fuck yes to that
0: yeah. Love that. All right. What should we do next? Which one? Which one? Oh, my God. So many things. I really like, I feel like Jamie's question and Mel's question are connected potentially. Jamie asks, how to, how to embrace your slash our darkness instead of running away from it? Like, how do you do that? And Mel has a really interesting thought exercise which I want to share because even if we don't necessarily dive into it deeply or specifically, it might be a good thought exercise for others listening. And so Mel asks, if you had to re-experience the most or one of the most that you were comfortable to talk about in front of the world, difficult moments in your life, and were given a do-over, what experience would it be? What was the lesson? How did you get through it? Would you change it? And if you would change it, what would you do differently? So that's like a pretty hearty situation and share. Like that could be used as a very, very strong journal prompt for people. And again, if you're going into traumatic spaces and traumatic memories, definitely have the support that you need to meet those memories if you're not experienced in doing that. So I just want to say that for the disclaimer of of really going into darkness, it is... It is a uh, something to respect and we might be able to do it and model it here quite easily because that's something we're committed to and we've practiced over 125 episodes and in many, many spaces with coaching and therapy and ayahuasca and psilocybin and all the things that we do to heal. So I just want to say with that preface as we go into this type of, to, to talking about this type of topic.
1: This is an excellent question. The yeah. idea of embracing our darkness rather than running from it. And this is like shadow work, right? Yeah. This is referring to those areas of ourself that we we'd like to pretend aren't there or disregard uh until as Mel puts them, they become a difficult moment in our life. And then we, we're stuck facing them, right? So I have a couple areas I'd like to touch on in here. One of them is very specific and one is more general. So, the idea of embracing darkness, I want to speak to this in a greater context. Um, I'm going to speak very fluidly here and just speak from my heart about how I understand the world to be. I've struggled deeply with the concept of evil and darkness and just genocide and just the horror atrocities that exist in this existence. This has been a very challenging concept for how do I live in a universe that has this type of atrocity occurring in it. And so when I look at my own darkness and I, I got recognized that the world is a reflection of self that these these are the same things that the dark the darknesses that are out there are also the darknesses that are in here how do i sit with the world around me when i see how can i go to work every day and know that there's a genocide occurring over there how can i do that right this is the same scale of how can i deal with these dark thoughts that i might have when i'm like fuck that person you know like like the same inner angers or inner darknesses are on exponential and infinite scales. So that concept has been huge, some unraveling for myself. And I'm very happy to say that I've finally come to peace with the atrocities and the evil or how I frame everything, how I've come to understand it in this polarized existence is we have love and we have fear. And these are the root emotions based in every single thing. So they they they're polarized of each other, but they're both inside of that infinite loop, right? On one side, we have this concept that is warm and hold and love and that is just like care and nurture. On the other side we have this concept of fear. Which is like contraction, which is like tighter and scared. But fear is actually our ally. Fear actually, whenever we go towards a fear and we explore a fear, we find everything that we're looking for on the other side of it. So, this idea of moving towards our darkness, learning our shadow, getting to understand that part of ourselves and accepting and loving that part of ourselves, learning to love our shadow, learning to feed our demons. These kinds of words and recognizing that this is who we are. And this is the existence. This is the nature of the universe. And I've at peace with it on the grander scale because I understand that it's all happening for a very specific reason in order to recognize what is love and what isn't love and that it's all love in the big picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is a tough, this is tough. And I, Mel, I I commend you for acknowledging the and and couching your question for us by saying what you're comfortable talking about, because that is very real. You know what I mean? One of the things that comes up for me is, and I've shared about this on the show before, so I won't share it necessarily super deeply again. But the experience that I had with sexual assault, the reason I bring that up is because It is the one experience that I've had currently in my peeling of my own onion and my own healing journey that has been deeply significant and impactful uh, and has been very long-term. As in the healing around that particular experience for me has been extremely long. So you asked, what would I do differently I say it again, I would change nothing about my life because I deeply believe everything is for us and for me. And so if I've had this experience, I think truly part of the value is for me to work with it, right? Like this is what, what we're doing right here on the show. Is it like, it's t- it took me multiple years to be able to publicly talk about this experience, had to do a lot of work behind the scenes, all that stuff. But I think that being an example of what's possible for other women or other men or other just people who have had experiences in this version of pain can look at and hopefully hear my sharing and see possibility for themselves in their own healing. So that's why I would share it. But to, again, entertain the spirit of the question, what would you do differently? Well, in the realm of misogyny and understanding that misogyny and sexism exists, I did not even know that stuff was a thing. And I did not know it was stuff that I was sort of uh, under the force of for many, many, many years, because I grew up at a drop zone where it was very, very misogynistic, very, very sexist. And, you know, that lack of awareness led me to let myself go into situations that I would never, ever step into now with my understanding today. And so what, what would I change? I would never fucking say yes to the situation that ended up leading to this experience, right? So that, that's an easy thing for me to say, yeah, I would, I would just, I would absolutely say no to that. And, uh, That's something I had to learn though, you know what I mean? And now I get to talk about it and hopefully women who are looking at me as a leader in the sport of skydiving or in the broader space of personal and professional development who are younger, who maybe are in that point in their own personal journey and their own growth as a human being or growth as a woman, they can go, oh, oh, that's a thing. And maybe they'll know sooner than I did to say no to stuff that feels wrong to them.
1: Thanks for your share.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Yeah. I want to answer the second part of that. Yeah. Um, I had a absolutely crushing experience where my darkness, and my shadow self had the handlebars and I was on a bender. Uh, where uh, addictive tendencies were at full throttle. And I was intaking copious quantities of adulterants. So I was looped. And my partner walked in and looked at me and found me in this state of complete oblivion and just didn't have any way to even know how to comprehend how to handle the situation. Or, or, or even how to respond or what to do. And this was an absolutely just gut-wrenching experience because this is my darkness, my addictive nature, my pains that had not yet been dealt with coming to the surface and looking to be addressed through, through some numbing. Now, what I've done differently is not allow that pattern to repeat to make positive actions in the direction of getting help in talking to others in changing my lifestyle, my patterns in engaging new ways of thinking and in being more vulnerable and open and and willing to say, well, fuck it, you know, like, it's that concept of um, rock bottom, right? The rock bottom concept, like what else do you have to lose, Mm -hmm. might as well just start sharing and being open about something and, and really addressing it. And it doesn't have to be rock bottom to actually do that. The concept holds water is the sooner that we start speaking about something and the sooner that we start giving it attention and love that fear point that I mentioned earlier, as soon as that starts going, going towards it, and going, what is in here? What is the cause of this fear? What's really underneath it? What's behind it? What's causing it to come up? Why am I afraid of this? Asking why and starting to dig into it and getting hands dirty in there, getting ourselves dirty in it. And then eventually, we're going to figure it out. And we're going to go, oh, this was the cause. This was why. And so from the time that that moment occurred, which was absolutely heartbreaking, I was so ashamed of myself. Just so ashamed of myself. It was at least six months later when I had this massive breakthrough around shame and about why that shame occurred and what was happening. And so there was a long period of integration in there and a lot of work in between.
0: Yep. Thank you for sharing. Yep. Yeah. I think that's important to know. I want to speak a little bit to Jamie's more broad question. How do we avoid running from them? I think. Understanding our tendency is much like you point to Jay, that you had that tendency for me just to share my own, is mine would be very avoidant. Mine would be extremely avoidant. So much so that it would be, I was be, I would be even blind to things, right? Like it took me 10 years to even talk about this experience with people that I trusted deeply because I realized I finally had an awareness of how deeply disgusted I felt by it. It was deeply disgusting. And then how I because I avoided that, and had repressed it, I had turned that disgust on myself that I had been walking around living with this idea that I am disgusting, which of course is wildly false, like duh. So that recognition of what we tend to do. So for me, I am a like freeze and flight. I rarely am a fight person. Right. So like the, the fear response for me is, is either freeze or flight or, and and often in my past lives. (laughs) In years ago, I would fawn a bunch more as well. I don't do that at all really anymore. Um, And I don't really flee anymore, either, except in maybe short term uh, moments. But why I want to talk to your question specifically, Jamie is, I now have a conscious mindset that going to toward my darkness is brave, and is something I can be proud of. Right. And so that helps me get through the really, really scary part of wanting to run the fuck away from it. And, and understandably so. So for anybody listening who's like, Oh, God, I could never even, you know, like, because again, like, how do you heal from the, the pain from 16 years of pain? you know, or 25 years of pain, or 40 years of pain. And this, of course, brings back up what you said to Jay, to Harry about tools. And that's for sure, for me, where plant medicine comes in, is it has helped me as a very, very powerful tool and brave avenue. Excuse me. Uh, to go toward my darkness when in this version, my default mode network, my current waking skill set, what I have as skills in this form and this person, as much as of the work that I've done, I know that I still need a lot of help to really access my darkness and get help really clearing it in the ways that I, that I feel uh, are available to me if I'm willing to go there. And so, yeah, that frame really helps me a lot. Feeling good about myself, that I'm going towards something that maybe in the short term, I'll feel really, really bad about. Thanks. Yeah. That's a pretty tough question. Those are super tough questions, like really tough. I was like feeling almost nervous going, oh, God. Uh, yeah. Like I still feel nervous, uh, you know, I didn't feel nervous per se, but it it still like doesn't feel good, you know, talking about that experience. You know what I mean? But I'm like, it, I feel like I'm in the work of transmuting it into service, which is what I believe in. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just would wish no one else would go through the pains that we go through, but we do. And that's the thing about not wanting to wish it away but rather really believing how it's for us and how it can can be transmuted into service.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of things in my life that I've been able to recognize their value and say wow what a gift, you mm-hmm. know, and at the time it was a huge drama. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is a that transmutation thing of fear into love. I, I truly believe it.
0: Absolutely. I want to round us off
1: with one more quick question from Brad Chatelier. Brad's been yeah. a huge supporter of Trust Journey right from its inception. So we love you. Thank you so much, Brad. Your contribution is truly appreciated.
0: Love you, Brad.
1: If you could have any one superpower, what would it be?
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is so such a hard question, too.
1: I know the answer straight away.
0: <laughs> What's your
1: answer? I want to fly.
0: I'm already like, I can fly already.
1: I want to to just go Superman style out the room here. Be like, see you later. (laughs)
0: Off I go. I think I would want to be able to teleport because there are so many instances where I want to be with people that I love. But I like your birthday is a great example where I'm like, Oh, I gotta, and I obviously I figured it out. Delta. Thank you (laughs) for changing my flight multiple times. Um, but yeah, like I would love to be able to teleport and like say, if my mom's like, Oh, you know, want to come over for dinner and she lives in Florida. Yeah, I do. I I love the idea of that, of being able to be with my people uh, at just an instant
1: I imagine being able to fly would give me that same potentiality because I would true. be able to go fly, fly really, yeah. really fast. Yeah, I was that's like true. the idea of like the Superman style landing, you know, the like the feet first, like <laughs> like the jet pack style landing because I've done a lot of landings, you know, a lot of landings, you know, and I've got some style on that shit. And I'd like to be able to do it with nothing else. Just be come and Just become up. That's so funny. <laughs>
0: I mean, normally I'm answering this question from the perspective of what is your superpower as in what is your, so, so as to have this deep, beautiful, and I invite people into this, this thought exercise as well to be like, what is your current superpower? And if you don't know, Mm. I challenge you to ask five to 10 people in your close circle that you trust to honestly reflect to you what your superpowers are and it's such a beautiful wonderful validating exercise for people to let you know it's like you feel so seen and deeply loved it's it's wonderful like i would really do it honestly it's brave to ask but it's really worth it when you can get trusted responses kind of to circle all the way back to the being emotionally vulnerable with people in our lives is like, there are lots of different ways we put ourselves out there, whether we're asking for very honest feedback, whether we're saying, I love you, whether we're, you know, doing whatever, sharing about a challenging experience or a trauma. Yeah.
1: You know, I want to say one more thing is, um, I didn't really think about it until I started getting into character there for a second. I started letting my mind just be in that space of like having the superpower. (laughs) And then I realized What the real superpower is is like fearlessness. It's like pure, courageous bravery that says, "I am not afraid of anything." And I have, I'm going to compliment you, Mel, because you your quote a few episodes ago has resonated with me on a daily basis. It has become part of who I am, and it is this statement that Melanie said: "I am not afraid of my feelings."
0: It's true. And that,
1: that includes fear.
0: Yeah. Right. Yep.
1: I am not afraid of my fear. Yep. I love my fear. I thank my fear, but I am not afraid of you. It's true. Fear. You're here with me, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that, my friend. I love you. I love that. I love you. I love you all. Trust the Journey family. Everybody listening. Thank you seriously so much for your contributions. For those questions that we didn't get to, we will try to circle back to them in another episode. Definitely. Really thank you for your sharing. It means a lot. And I always really believe that if we have a question, if we're wondering about something, there are tons more people who are wondering the same thing. So you asking your questions and putting yourselves out there with us and with our community, is also service. So thank you for that and thank you for supporting us in all the ways that you do. Like we said at the beginning, if you want to support the show if you're not a member of the Trust the Journey family, join us trustthejourney.today that is our website. Donate on Patreon. Very soon we have our new merch with our t-shirts and our mugs and our journals and our blankets and the pants and the like we have a ton of new stuff coming. And, uh, yeah, it's, we're, we're growing and we're very, very grateful for all your support. If you want to make a one-time donation, PayPal is the way to do it. Trust the journey.today at gmail.com and sharing the show five-star reviews. Like I said, all those things make a huge, huge difference for us. And thank you just for being yourselves and for being here.
1: We love you. Keep laughing, keep loving, and keep trusting the
0: journey.